When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I rewatched the uh, Thriller Manila last week, uh, Coop. And uh, you know how people were talking during the last dance and even today talking about how Michael Jordan is the greatest competitor in sports history. I said, listen, watch that eighth round with Ali Frazier 3. Tell me that Michael Jordan's a tougher competitor than those two. This is Showtime with Coop Podcast, presented by BetOnline.ag on CLNS Media. As a quick reminder, please hit that subscription button if you have not yet already. That way, every time we release a new podcast, it shows up automatically in your feed. And please give us a rating. It really helps other people find the podcast. Welcome, listeners. You're listening to Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with some of my legend teammates and friends in the NBA. And today's guest is probably, and I've played with a lot of NBA players, but he's probably one of my favorites, but he's probably one of the funniest guys, high school, college, or pros that I ever played with. And somebody who mastered himself as being the most informative, the most knowledgeable person in the world. Michael Thompson. Welcome, Michael. Hopefully everybody in your family is doing safe and everything. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, everybody in uh, stateside and in the Bahamas has been able to avoid contracting the virus. So the Thompson family on both sides of the ocean have been very, very blessed. And uh, you forgot to also introduce me as your best-looking teammate in history. <laughs> right. Me and Rick Fox. Me and Rick Fox. <laughs> get, Rick, get Rick Fox out of there, man. He was a Celtics, man. Michael, you're on with my boy, A.T., First of all, what was it like growing up in the Bahamas? Well, basically, if you ever saw Gilligan's Island, that's what me. I was a black Gilligan. (laughs) Trying to get off the island, but still living in paradise. Uh, (laughs) Going to the beach every day, eating great seafood. Uh, Had a very close family. Everything was very close-knit in the Bahamas because it's a very small community. The island itself is only 21 miles long, 7 miles wide. The island that I grew up on. So it was like everybody knew each other and in everybody's business. But uh, growing up, that very slow, easygoing lifestyle. But we were very influenced by the United States because we're only 80, 100 miles away from Miami. So a lot of Americans would come over. We'd get American television, American products. So even though we were an independent British Commonwealth type country, we were very uh, influenced by the American culture. Now, knowing, knowing that uh, basketball eventually what you grew up to be, being 6'9 at 17, it wasn't your first love. Your first love was soccer. Soccer, definitely, because uh, we were, we grew up, like I say, we grew up under the British influence, being a member of the British Commonwealth. So soccer growing up uh, was a huge sport in my, my youth. I love the NFL. I even like cricket, guys. Cricket was a favorite sport of mine, too. Don't laugh, Coop. Cricket's a, a sweet sport, man. 
And uh, but then again, I started as I started getting older, 12, 13 years of age. I started following the NFL. Joe Namath was my favorite quarterback. The Kansas City Chiefs was my favorite team. The Cleveland Browns with Leroy Kelly. Those guys were my favorite NFL team. And uh, I was so old, Coop. I grew up in the AFL and the NFL era. So I had one. <laughs> I'm there too, MT. I'm there too. <laughs> my team in the AFL and the Browns were my team in the NFL. So and then of course. Uh, in the Bahamas, the, the L.A. Dodgers were always the favorite team in the, the Bahamas. So I grew up watching Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale and, and Willie Davis and all those great, Maury Wills, all those great Dodger teams. So basketball didn't come to me till late, till I was about 16, 17 years of age is when I started playing basketball. Now, Mike, you know what? You said something that's very interesting. The Cleveland Browns was your football team back then? Yeah, Cleveland Browns. They were mine too. Paul Warfield, that's who I idolized the most. The greatest wide receiver to me that's ever lived. <laughs> All right, Paul was smooth, wasn't he? Number 42. I used to love Paul. Okay, so, Mike, you get involved with basketball. At 17, you're 6'9", and you're starting to play. Uh, There's on record that you had 61 rebounds in a game, 22 block shots in a game. I don't think that that's real. I'm telling you, man, it it actually happened. I was 16 years of age playing in the church league. We had, like, uh, all the churches, about seven or eight churches in the Bahamas started a church league down there, so members of the churches would play against each other. And I was about six foot six at the time. I didn't want to play. My older brother made me play because I was tall and I was a natural athlete. I could pick up any sport I wanted to because you've heard this stories before. What a great athlete I was, Coop, of course, in the locker room. That I could play anything. <laughs> so this is not new to you. So, yeah, in one game, I was uh, the Bill Russell of that league, man. 61 rebounds in one game, Coop. That means a lot of missed shots, but I had to go get them. So I got <laughs> but actually keeping stats. We had a statistician keeping stats. <clears throat> and I was a good shot blocker. I always could block shots ever since I was in high school. So, and everybody was, you know, around six feet I was playing against. So I was easy to block their shots. But 22 blocks in a game, tell Will Chamberlain to try that. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I think your stats were padded because it was your church that was probably keeping the stats or something like that. Big, you couldn't lie because God was watching. <laughs> so I-, I was curious to find out that you know, why you spell your name like you do. And I found out that you did because in college, you went to the University of Minnesota. And you decided you wanted to kind of bring attention out of yourself, right? And, and so you yeah, changed the spell of your name? To separate myself from the other ordinary Michaels, like Michael Cooper. <laughs> 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 and they knew it was me. There was only one Michael at the time like that. And you know what, guys? I have met about 20 parents, sets of parents over the years since my high school time who saw my name in print the way it was, it was spelled and said they, they were going to name their kid Michael anyway instead of spelling the way Michael Cooper like does it. They said they'll spell it. <laughs> because it was unique and different. Well, so, you, oh, go ahead, McCoop, sorry. No, no, uh, um, going along that theme, we're heading that way. How did um, Bells come up? Oh, jeez. What, what was it called, Sweet Bells or Bells or High yeah. Bells? What was it? it was, I was in high school at the time, Coop. This is the early 70s. You got to remember the time now. So it was the early 70s. <laughs> at that time, it was Lou Alcindor, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell. Not so much Bill Russell, but well, Russell, I just retired. And the other center, I'm sure you remember, Walt Bellamy. Oh, yeah. Bellamy? Now, Walt yep. Bellamy's a heck of a player. Atlanta so my, Hawks. My teammates at the time in high school were teasing me because I was playing center. And they say, oh, man, you, you ain't no Lou Alcindor. You ain't no Kareem. You ain't no Wilt. You're a Bells. You're Bellamy. You're like Walt Bellamy. You're Bells. And I was just saying, stuck. And then one day I was, uh, we were playing pickup basketball in the gym like we always did at, those age, at that age, Coop. And I was making some sweet moves. I looked like Kevin McHale or Kim Olajuwon in the post, right? I was making some sweet moves in the post, scoring on guys at will. And they were calling, and some guys started calling me Sweet Bells. And that, was, and that stupid nickname stuck. 
Well, you know what? Do the footwork because again, Elijah Wine, Hakeem Elijah Wine, can attest to this. That helps your footwork in the low post. So I agree with you on that, MT. I agree with you on that. Uh, how'd you find your way to Minnesota? Well, I was uh, in Miami, Florida at the time. We were the number one high school team. This is 1974. We were the number one high school team in the country. We were, so we were like the parade All-American. It was like the parade All-American. Back then, it was like McDonald's All-American now, how, it, how that's promoted today. But at that time, you got to remember, we didn't have 24-hour coverage like we do now, seven days a week, all the websites. We didn't have all that stuff. So they would just uh, go around the country, watch different high school teams, and they decided that the, our high school team in Florida, Miami, was the number one high school team in the whole country. Four Bahamians, two Cubans were the first six guys on the team. <laughs> and so uh, Minnesota came all the way down to Florida, Miami, to recruit me. And uh, I had a choice to go there or Florida, Florida State, uh, also Wisconsin, and University of Houston were the main schools after me. Didn't want to go to Houston. Florida and Florida State at the time, their high, their gyms were basically the same as my high school gym, Coop, compared to what we see today. A better, huh? <laughs> Very small, just a little, little, little band box high school gyms. I said, you know what? I don't want to go play in some small gym like at Florida, Florida and Florida State. Minnesota, the Big Ten at the time, along with the Pac-8, were considered uh, the best two conferences in the country, more so than the ACC and the SEC, how it is, how they're in the powerhouses now, and the Big East. So I said, you know, Minnesota's recruiting me is a great place, a great school. So I went up there on my recruiting trip in January, Coop. I left Miami, it was 80 degrees, 8-0. Got to Minneapolis, it was 16-1-6. <laughs> I said, man, how do people live in this stuff? And that's, to me, that's surprising that you would pick that school. I mean, it was being bone-chilling cold up there, but I mean, something attracted your attention, and what was it other than that? Well, was, like I said, the Big Ten Conference at the time was the mm -hmm. best conference. Uh, Minneapolis is a beautiful city, despite what's going on in there today, of course, and all the riots going on, but it's a beautiful, nice people. Uh, the, the campus, Minnesota, was a beautiful campus. So even though it was cold when I got there, it was a Big Ten conference. Uh, we, were, we had some other good recruits coming in. So I figured we could uh, challenge for a Big Ten championship back then. And, and myself and my team, high school teammate, Osborne Lockhart, came with me, and uh, we decided to go to Minnesota. So you guys changed your flip-flops and your short pants and the suntan oil for, uh, what's that? For snowshoes. So as you're going through Minnesota, you, some guy that I hate to this day, Kevin McHale joins you. Kevin McHale, that? and I was a sophomore. He came in as a freshman, so I was two years ahead of him. And going into my junior year, he came in. And I tell you, he came in, even though he's a freshman, Coop, that's Kevin McHale you saw in Boston, cocky. Uh -huh. Highly skilled, was the same guy as a freshman. He no came kidding. in those same skills. Now, I was more the focal guy on the team, so Kevin didn't get as many shots. Uh, so the offense sort of ran through me mostly. But Kevin came in as a complimentary player, started immediately as a freshman, and uh, had those well, same he still had the same height? Was he 6'10", 6'11", And with those long, gangly arms and yeah. uh, ahead of his game, ahead of his game as a freshman with his skills and his knowledge of the game. He was an he, he impact player from the start. Okay. So, Mike, you used to tell us this all the time, and I, I just want to know if you fulfilled this wish, which, which you didn't. You once talked about being the prime minister of the Bahamas. Are those aspirations still? Well, no, I'm too old now. I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always thought that something I wanted to do is go back home and get involved in politics. Yeah. Uh -huh. And help my country. And I really was serious about it at the time. I was thinking about when I retire, I'm going to go back to the Bahamas to see what I could do to contribute, to pay, to give back in some kind of a way. And, uh, but 
I met my wife over here and we started having children in, the, in America. And I didn't want to uproot them from this yeah. beautiful life in America to go back to the Bahamas and basically start over. So that derailed my, my plans to go back there and get involved in, in uh, local politics and see what I can do to help be a leader and contribute and give back to the country. Because, you know, be hanging around with you and Magic and Byron and the crew, Rob, I already had all the fame and the fortune. So I, would have, I would have been the most honest politician in the world because I didn't need, I wasn't going into it for the money or for the power because I already enjoyed that just being a member of the Lakers. I just wanted to go back and, and humbly help out without enriching myself. Hey, can you see why we love this guy? This guy is so full of himself that it's incredible. I'm surprised it's not coming out of his ears. But, Mike, if somebody's going to the Bahamas, what, what the, what's the best dish there? Oh, man, my favorite. There's so many good dishes. Coop, you never came down. I remember I used to invite you. Byron Scott came down a lot. Magic, of course, would hang out in the Bahamas. They basically became uh, adopted Bahamians. You never came down there and worthy. I tried to get you guys to come down. But if you would have come down, I would have given you guys – Probably some peas and rice, black-eyed peas and rice. We got you know, that here got, in the States. We got that over here. <laughs> but we also have a uh, baked grouper. Grouper is a, uh, a meaty fish, white fish. And that's like our staple, our main fish in the Bahamas. So baked grouper and black-eyed peas and rice with coleslaw. If I gave you some of that from my mother used to make coop, you'd want to become a Bahamian immediately. Too dark. Hey, listen. Uh, <laughs> so you go to Minnesota. And 1978 come your senior year, you get drafted. The first foreign player drafted in the NBA by the Portland Trailblazers. What were your thoughts going to Portland? Oh, man, I was excited. I, I had enough of the, the Midwest winners, Coop, and Ari. I didn't want to stay in the Midwest anymore because I wanted to get someplace to get away from the snow. Didn't want to go to the East Coast because I didn't like the East Coast. Too crowded. It's cold over there. So I was looking forward to coming out to the western part of the United States and I, you know, being the, the incredible, knowledgeable person that I am, I knew all about They see, you probably don't even know where Portland was when you was coming out of New Mexico, right? <laughs> I'm very familiar with the map of the United States and the geography of the United States. And I knew how beautiful the Pacific Northwest was. I, Indiana at the time had the number one pick in the draft. I didn't want to go play in Indianapolis. I had enough of the cold um, Midwest winters. So when I heard that the Portland Trailblazers was interested in me and was going to draft me, I was very excited about going out to the Pacific Northwest, an area of the country I hadn't lived in. So I was looking forward to going out to that part of the country and find out what life was all about. You got to remember, too, Coop, back in those days, we didn't know who was going to draft us until about exactly, exactly. Like days exactly. before. Today, we got mock drafts. We got websites predicting where these kids are going to go. They know a year in advance who's going to have the number one pick and where they're probably going to end up. Back then, we just had to wait for a phone call to find out where we were basically a day or two before the draft or even a day of the draft, not knowing where we were going to go. So I was kind of hoping I knew Portland had a top three pick and I was kind of hoping that's, that's where I would end up on the West coast somewhere. Now, you know, going there, you were stepping into some big shoes you had to fill because again, coach Ramsey was there, right? Jack Ramsey. Jack Ramsey. Now they had uh, Bill Walton who had just yep. won a championship before. Did you feel that those shoes were too big for you to fill? No, not at all, Coop, because even though I was the number one pick in the draft, you, you made a good point. Bill Walton was still technically on the, on the roster. He mm -hmm. was injured, but he was still technically a part of the Portland Trailblazers. So I thought that, like you, I was joining a championship-caliber team. They had just come off a championship a couple of years ago. Basically, the same nucleus of the team was coming back. Everybody from that championship team was still there. The only one missing was Bill Walton because of his foot issues, his foot injuries. I was joining a team with, as you know, Maurice Lucas. You know Lucas, yeah, yeah. like uh, Lionel Hollins, who's now an assistant coach. All those guys were champions. So they thought, I thought that I was joining a championship caliber team. 
and I thought I was joining a team that was going to be better than you guys at Showtime. If we were healthy, we would have been better than y'all. Mike, we came up there and whooped y'all's ass every don't, time we came in. <laughs> the healthy Bill Walton. And we would have been able to beat you guys because they beat you before. You weren't there, but they beat the Lakers before to get to the finals. So I thought, and these guys are all in their 20s, still young in their prime. So I thought if we could stay healthy, I'm joining a team that's going to win multiple championships. How was it playing for Coach Ramsey? Was he very good? I mean, the difference between him and Pat Riley? Very similar in their intensity and their demand, demanding uh, attitude. They expect you to be a man, expect you to they hold you accountable. He's, and uh, he was very organized, just like Riles. Ran a great offense, involved a lot of ball movement, man movement, uh, a lot of motion offense. So he's very similar to Riles. Didn't dress as well as Riles. Wasn't as handsome as Riles, but he was <laughs> like Riles, just demanding, just like Riles, and expected you to do your job like Riles did. Who's your favorite teammate in Portland? We talk, like me and my, my wife, Julie, and my, my sons, I talk about this all the time. I said, my favorite Blazer team I ever had is obvious, Clyde Drexler. You know, I was a veteran. I was like four years ahead of him when he, by the time he came in as a rookie. But uh, I loved all my teammates, but Clyde Drexler was my favorite because as soon as he came in as a rookie, I told Jack Ramsey, I went to Jack and said, Jack, I know you got a bunch of veterans on this team, but this is his team from now on. This is Clyde Drexler's team because you can see the talent just dripping off of him even though Michael Jordan wasn't pretty impressed with him in the uh, last dance. <laughs> he was offended to be compared to, to, to Drexler. But I saw that Drexler had the uh, potential to be a franchise-type player, the face of the franchise, so I enjoyed playing with him. And my favorite Laker teammate of all time is you. I always talk to you, you know, coming over to your house and drinking that pink champagne. Michael Thompson, quit kissing my ass, man. Just tell me. <laughs> he, he, he has you on. He just tweeted out last month his all-time Lakers list. And he put Coop on the bench. That's a, yeah. that's a, that is an impressive list of 12 players. And you're right, on I it. appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you, well, sir. I think Coop should be in the Hall of Fame. He's a multiple-time all-defensive play, play, player. Uh, he's a defensive player of the year. He has the same type of resume that Dennis Rodman has. And Rodman's in the Hall of Fame. Five-time champion. Showtime wouldn't have won those five rings without Coop. He was just as much an instrumental part of those championships as Magic Coop, as Magic Worthy, uh, uh, and uh, – and uh, Kareem were and Michael Cooper was just as valuable coming off the bench and I think the fact that Coop I said this on the radio all the time I tweeted it all the time the fact that you're not in the Hall of Fame is a disgrace because not everybody has to score 20 points a game to be a Hall of Famer well as long as I'm in your Hall of Fame MT I appreciate that thank you so you go to Portland get traded to the Spurs and some kind of way you end up with the Lakers and now you're with the Lakers what are your thoughts joining our team at that time man I couldn't believe the difference of playing for the Showtime, playing for you guys. Because obviously I was an eight-year veteran, been in the league, played against you guys. And like I said, played for a demanding coach in Jack Ramsey. But the difference is, when you join the Lakers, when you join your team, the difference was it's nice to win, but when you join the Showtime Lakers, you are expected to win. Yeah. And that's a whole different level of pressure there, Ari. When you come in, everybody wants to win. Um, everybody hopes to win. But when you play for the Lakers and the Celtics back in the 80s, you are expected to win. And that puts a whole lot more pressure on you, and, and uh, it makes you, you – you have to perform because people expect you to win. If you don't win, it's a disaster. If you don't win, if you're in Portland or Utah or Kansas City, people go, ah, you know, they're a nice, cute little team. But if you're the Lakers and the Celtics and you fail to win, that's a major failure. So pressure came to playing for the Showtime Lakers. You know what, Mike, and I always say this about Jerry West. Uh, Jerry's been a lot of places, but his time with the Lakers, Jerry had that innate ability to go out 
and get that one player, that, that missing piece that you had. And when he got you, we knew we were going to win then because you were the type of player that fit in. I think through your uh, time at Portland where you did all the scoring, it was about playing a role now. And obviously we went out and got you for Kevin McHale. Uh, your thoughts on Jerry West? Hi, this is Michael Cooper. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of games, events, and sports to still get in on. You can bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and USC, or even participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Your thoughts on Jerry West? I've said this all the time publicly on all radio shows I've ever hosted or been on. I say it in Twitter and public forum all the time. Jerry West is the greatest sports executive in history, regardless of the sport. Uh, he put together eight championships as a GM. Come on. Or president of a team. Nobody's ever, under, ever done that except maybe Red Auerbach, who was the president, GM, and coach of the Celtics. Obviously, he won nine. But in the modern era, Jerry West is the most astute and the brightest sports executive in history, in any what you, sport. What do you think made him like that? What are the characteristics of him that, that – created that well he's a guy who just knows how to spot talent that's the, that's the main thing he can just he can pick out a player he spotted kobe bryant nobody knew who this kobe bryant kid was jerry west moved mountains to, to get him uh, on a more green uh, james worthy those exactly two he just jerry west just knows how to recognize talent he doesn't look at all this analytical crap you know the people go through with now he just looks at a player and within five to ten minutes he says that kid there can play and that's the kid i want because he understands how to play the game Jerry West just knows how to pick out talent. That's what makes him the best. And another thing, MT, and you can respond to this a little bit, he knows when there's conflict within the team, how to get them marquee, them star players, to take them in the office and sit them down and tell them what the purpose of our, the team goal is. Well, he told me that, Coop. He brought me into the office when I first came and joined the Lakers. He says, well, Michael, Michael, we're happy to have you here. You know, you got that something twine. <laughs> happy here you come see me and we'll do something about it okay we'll just move you <laughs> here and that's the way it should be if i'm the gm or president of a team i would tell that same thing to a player we we love to have you here but if you don't want to be here let me know and we'll move you and that's how it was with the i don't know anybody would want, wouldn't want to be with the lakers but that's how jerry west was he was up front with you it was no bs and if you were unhappy just let him know and he trade he trade you away that's what he told me we're at the point now mike where i have a call a lightning round i'm gonna throw a name at you and just give us a couple of words about the person, okay? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Listen, man, this is more than just a word or two, but it ticks me off every time the greatest player name comes up that he isn't mentioned. Yep. It should be – I know this is going longer. I got to say this. No, don't go ahead. You talk about the GOAT, the greatest player of all time. There should be three names. Three names and that's it. Okay, maybe fourth you want to throw a Mount Rushmore and put LeBron a bit. But Jordan, Kareem, and Wilt, those three should always be mentioned. And to leave out Kareem's name is just disrespectful and not knowing your history of the game. So, Kareem, I would go with GOAT, greatest of all time. Not Russell? 
I mean, yeah, 11 championships. He's the main reason why they won. I, I said that too, Aris, a good point. People ask me, who are the five greatest players in my opinion? And I said, it's Kareem, in no particular order, Kareem, Jordan, Wilt, LeBron, and Russell. Those are my five. People say, well, how can you leave off Kobe? How can you leave off Magic? I say, well, you got to leave somebody off. But you're right. How do you just, just discount or disregard 11 championships? And he's the reason why they won them. Magic. Great, great, greatest leader ever in, in basketball. Great leader. Nelson Mandela. Yeah, I would say Nelson Mandela, a man of his convictions. He would not back down from his beliefs and they they said they would allow him out of prison if he if he uh if he went against his uh his convictions and he said no i'll sit here for 27 years until we're free in south africa so just a brave man beyonce Ooh, boy i would say beyonce is a visionary because she saw the vision where she could break out on her own and become legendary. If I was uh, Destiny's child, I'd be mad at her. <laughs> I'd say, why'd you leave us behind? <laughs> He's visionary. Muhammad Ali. Oh, man. He was my idol, my sports idol growing up, Coop. Next to my sons. He's my favorite athlete of all time. Next to you, of course. So Muhammad Ali, uh, courageous. You know, because he put his life and his career on the line when he chose not to go fight in a crazy war. And MC, that's a good point because of the prime of his life, he spent, what, three, four years in jail, man, when he could have really been busting people up. Ken Norton. Ken Norton. <laughs> uh, I would say tough. He was tough. He gave Ali three hard fights. Ken Norton was tough. And my last one, and I think you're going to like this because it's going to take us into our next segment, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson... Um, when I think of Mike Tyson, what do I think of? Um, I would say he was, he was misguided because he blew it. If he would have stayed with Kevin Rooney yep. and his original guys who promoted him, he would have, he would have been much greater than he was. He just let, let the wrong people get ahead of, get hold of him. Don King, get your hands on you. That's just spoiled yep. meat, man. Yeah, he just got misguided, just taken advantage of. Mike, you're a boxing fan. I remember many times during the 80s, we used to talk about boxing in, in the uh, locker room, and uh, we, we would get so involved, myself, you, Byron Scott, James Worthy would throw some, some info in there, obviously Kareem. And there was a moment where uh, you and Byron got into a little boxing skirmish, and I always talk about this because I, I Byron knocked you out. What? <laughs> Didn't knock me out. Well, you guys, you American judges. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're talking about it, but anyway, we were talking about some of the best matches that we saw. The fights. Wait, what? Wait, no, no, no. What? <laughs> well, him and Byron was in a skirmish, and Byron tapped him on his chin, and Mike fell. Fell? Am, am I seeing that wrong, Mike? <laughs> you are definitely exaggerating the whole story. Don't listen to him, Ari. James Worthy was the ref. Byron, he scrapes me along the chin. As soon as he hits me on the chin, Worthy says, fight's over, Byron. <laughs> Smart but, judge. Smart judge. Yeah. But, but let's take it to the real fights. Talk about some of the best matches that we see. Sugar Ray and Hearns, the first one. That was a great fight. Tommy Hearns had him beat. 
but and Ray Leonard was basically beat because Hearns was outboxing him. Remember that fight does, it happened last night, and uh, Leonard showed a lot of intestinal fortitude to come back because he was basically out of that fight and had to go for the knockout to beat Hearns because Hearns had piled up a bunch of points. And uh, and I remember, I remember Leonard caught him with a right that staggered Hearns, and he never yep. recovered. Oh, uh, great fight! Th- this is the one that I loved the best. Was uh, I hated the first one, but the second was better. Sugar Ray and Roberto Duran, hands of stone. I love Roberto Duran. He bullied uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. He he conned Leonard into fighting his fight. Yeah, uh, a type fight because Leonard was more of a boxer, uh, more of a stylish fight. But he, uh, Roberto turned into a brawl. Uh, barroom brawl. And that's the way Roberto uh, could beat him. And Lennon wanted to prove that he was as tough as Roberto, so he fell for that trap. But uh, yep. that was a And then that second fight, woo. Well, Roberto ate too much. You know, he said... Get out of him. here, man. No, Sugar Ray Leonard initiated that fight and went to do what he was supposed to do the first but fight. Turned into a boxer, but Leonard uh, was celebrating. He didn't train. He basically turned to Andy Ruiz. Remember when Andy Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua? Yeah. Yep. And didn't train for the rematch? That's basically yep. what happened to Leonard. Leonard didn't take the second. I mean, uh, Ray Durant didn't take the second fight uh, seriously, and uh, Leonard just beat him up. No, he wasn't going to win, and he showboated on him. Uh, Ali Frazier, which one was your best? One, two, or three? Three. I rewatched the uh, Thriller Manila last week, uh, Coop, and uh, you know how people – we're talking during the last dance and even today talking about how Michael Jordan is the greatest competitor in sports history. I said, listen, watch that eighth round with Ali Frazier three. Tell me that Michael Jordan's a tougher competitor than those two. How two human beings coop in 110 degree weather are uh, temperature are inside the building, 110 degrees. It was in that ring. How two humans could put that kind of punishment on each other and survive and live. I'll never understand it. Tell some basketball player to get in the ring and survive that. And tell me some basketball players more competitive than Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier ever was. That was the brutal fight in history. And MT, they were going 15 rounds back then, too. 15 rounds, Ari. I don't know if you've ever seen the thrill in Manila, Ari. If you're a boxing fan, but do yourself a favor, watch that. And watch two human beings in that eighth round and figure out how did they both survive that. And then say that some golfer or basketball players are tougher competitor than those two guys. There's been a lot of fighters. Uh, Hagler. Uh, Mayweather now, uh, De La Hoya, who would be your top five? And, and not necessarily in category, weights or lightweight or anything, but your top five uh, fighters all time. Ooh, that's easy. Obviously, number one is obviously number one is Muhammad Ali. Okay. Sugar Ray Robinson, number two. Uh, Joe oh. Lewis, uh, I would put, yeah, I got to put him number three. Four would be probably, or oh, no particular order, I would say, Mm, boy, this is a great one. This is a tough one. Larry Holmes. Holmes was tough. Holmes was a great fighter. And the fifth one got to be Jack Johnson. Black heavyweight in the early 1900s, beating up everybody. Think about it. They had that. 119 rounds. Right. So that's my five. And everybody <laughs> okay. But Jack Johnson in the 1900s being a black heavyweight when everybody was trying to fight, kill him. That's amazing. <laughs> And you're listening to Showtime with Coop. We have Michael Thompson, and he's sharing a lot of knowledge with us. Go ahead, Ari. Were you into boxing in the Bahamas? Is that where your love of boxing comes from? Where does, no, it, come, where does I, it come from? I grew up in the 60s as a child in the 60s, and Muhammad Ali was the number one athlete in the world. And so we loved him in the, in the Bahamas. So I grew, up, I grew up with Muhammad Ali. And you also grew up a Lakers fan, right? Yep, Lakers, Jerry West, Will Chamberlain, Elgin, Bill, and the guys. That was my team. The Lakers and the Dodgers, L.A. teams are my teams. 
So how much, like, when you, you mentioned kind of coming to Lakers, how much it saved your career. You go from Portland to San Antonio, and then all of a sudden you end up with Showtime and Kareem and, you know, and, and Magic and Coop and that locker room that's championship caliber. Like, how much did your approach to the game change then, if at all? I was always ready to play. always took the game seriously. But like I said, once you joined the Showtime Lakers, Ari, the, the stakes went way up. It wasn't just like you hope to make the playoffs, you hope to win. Expectations. When you are expected to succeed, that puts a whole lot more pressure on you in, bus- in the business world, whether it's in sp- sports or in just a common business. When you are expected to be the best, that takes it to a whole other level. So even though I always took pride in preparing myself to play, I knew that uh, joining this team, it was, it was no fooling around. It was all business about winning. It was all about winning. That's the only thing that mattered. Well, you know what, Michael, in the 80s, it was a different kind of basketball because the officials let us play a little bit more rougher. Obviously, the Celtic rivalry was real tough. Uh, the clothesline of Rambus, uh, the Detroit Pistons, the bad boy there, Jordan Rules slamming everybody to the ground. And the officials, as well as the commissioner, has taken a stance saying, what do you like about today's game? That is cleaner. That is more freedom of movement, Coop. Back then, as you watch the highlights from the last dance or highlights from the 80s, the game was played below the three-point line. Guys like you maybe shot two threes a game. Now the game is more spread out. Um, and it's, uh, it's clean. It's not all that physical play because what we were doing in the 80s and the 70s was going too far in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, clotheslining guys. And <clears throat> back then, the flagrant fouls of today were just common fouls back then. That was dangerous basketball. So I'm, I like the way now they've cleaned it up and uh, you're not allowed to mug people the way you were in the 70s and 80s. What about you know, the minutes, Tom though? He always says this, and I kind of agree with him. He says back in the uh, 80s and 90s when European players started trickling into the league is that they were hoping that the NBA would influence the, the European league. But it seems like the European league has influenced our league because you got them big guys coming over from there, starting with uh, Vlade Divas, guys that, that size could shoot three-pointers. So, I mean, what do you think about that? I think it's all right. If you, got, if you can step outside like a Joel Embiid and knock down the outside shot, that's fine. Uh, if Kareem was coming along today or Hakeem Olajuwon or Wilt, the great centers of the past, maybe they wouldn't shoot more outside shots, but, or Shaq. But when you have such a force in the low post, like the centers where we played against Coop, I mean, I can't see taking Kareem out of the post or Wilt or Shaq or Hakeem Olajuwon where they are so effective and fouling out guys in the paint. So if, if they came along today, I don't think they'd be shooting as many threes. I think that's probably sometimes a fault of Joel Embiid. He's such a force around the basket. He needs to get his big butt down there and just punish guys in the paint, letting the low post away Shaq used to, and, and just discourage guys. Uh, but uh, I think taller guys like Robert Ory who came along and, and the stretch fours of the day, that's fine. That's part of the game that uh, if I was playing today, my sons always ask me, would I be shooting threes? Of course I would, because I used to knock them down in practice, but you and Riles wouldn't let me shoot straight. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Mike, uh, uh, and not by position, five best players in the game today. LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, that's three, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and... Uh, KD? With KD being KD. that KD. KD. Yeah, KD. KD, when he's healthy. Steph? Steph. Uh, Steph, he's in the conversation, but because he doesn't affect the game on both ends, the way those other five do, totally. you know, because we're not just talking about scoring. When you, the five that I mentioned can impact the game on offense and on defense the way Coop used to. You know, Mike is the father of uh, three boys, three athletes. Uh, Trace is a baseball player. Uh, Mike, Mike, your son, Mikey, is uh, playing the big three. And then your, your 
other son, Clay, is with the Golden State Warriors that have won championships. Do you think our 80s team could beat that Warriors team two or three years ago? Of course. Of with course. KD. Like, why? Why? Because I know the tougher competitor that you guys were and how tough our team was. Now, I asked Clay the same thing. And Clay says, of course we could beat you guys. You guys wouldn't be able to keep up with our <laughs> offense. But you know, all, if you ask the 90s Pistons, they'll say the same thing. The Chicago Bulls. Yeah. All the champions think that they could beat anybody. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I told Clay, you guys are supposed to believe that you could beat our Showtime team. Just like we believe we'd beat you guys. That's how champions think. So uh, I can't imagine any champion conceding that uh, another championship team could beat them. So, yeah, I think the Showtime team could beat the Warriors. Now, we'd have to hope that they miss a whole lot of the threes because, well, we shot eight threes a game. They shoot eight threes in the first three minutes of the game. Well, well and, and can you be physical with them? You know, that's the other thing, too, is how physical can you be with them? Because that's – you talked about the differences in physicality of the game. You know, I mean, it, it, that's a huge piece, too. Could you, would you play 80s-style physicality or you play modern physicality? Well, I, I think if we played any style, they would adjust. And uh, I think they would adjust to it because you're talking about – we talk about Steph and Clay and Draymond and, that, and KD and those guys. Those are competitors. They're not going to back down yeah. from anybody just because you're putting hands on them. But, you know, what? I, I think this. I think in the 80s, the way we played, other teams – well, the Celtics made us a little tougher. Detroit made us a little tougher. But the one thing that we had – and, Mike, you get in on this if you want. I think we could change and play any style of play. Remember, when we first started, we were not a, a physical team. We were a finesse team, and I think that's why we would be able to deal with the Warriors better than other teams. Well, you guys were a finesse team, but you were tough mentally. Nobody's going to push you guys around. You know, even though you guys were fast and could run like gazelles, ain't nobody pushing around Byron Scott or James Worthy or, or Kareem or what? You better mess with Kareem. You know what happens there. Ask Ralph <laughs> Sampson and Benson about that. In the elbow. <laughs> Exactly. So even though you guys are more of a finesse, up-and-down, fast-paced team, you guys weren't going to back down from any kind of physical yeah. confrontations because you guys were tough guys. And this is the one thing i got to give that Golden State, especially when they won their first championship. Mike, I never thought that a team could win a championship by shooting jump shots. But that's the first team that really changed my mind on that. And even when they were going for the championship – Clay and, and Steph and all them guys shooting threes, I said, they can't win. But you know what? Them boys showed me something different, man. Well, it's, it's easier, Coop and Ari, when you have the three greatest shooters in the history of the game. And I say, and I, I, I'm, I might, people say, well, you're biased because of Clay. But no, I'm telling you, Steph, Clay, and Kevin Durant are the three greatest shooters I've ever seen in this game. And when you can shoot that way, Coop, especially from three, you can beat anybody. Because, yeah, we can play tough defense. And I've seen these guys with defense in their face, giving them tough, but their three point shots demoralize teams the way they could shoot. I've never seen three shooters like that on one team. Mike, you think we'll have a season this year? Yeah, I believe so. I believe we're going to have one. It's getting closer. We're getting more and more positive news coming out of NBA headquarters about the possibility of reconvening. So I think we'll know more. They're having a big meeting today about the possibility of getting back. But I think for sure, I'm pretty sure we're going to be back in July sometime. Hey, listen, now, hypothetically, how would you, if, if you had a control over this, how would you want the season to play out? Because you've got to have a champion. How would you like for the play? Great question. Go straight into the playoffs. 16 teams, uh, whatever, how, whatever the records were on March the 10th when we had mm -hmm. our last game, uh, those 16 teams go in. And if you just missed the game, missed the playoffs by a game or two, hey, well, you had like 60 games to try to get there. <laughs> exactly. So you didn't get the job done. What about wrap-up games, though? Like, would any exhibition or something to get you back into shape or just start first round and go? No, I've I been through this. I think a two-week training camp and you'll be ready to go. Two weeks of hard training. 
These guys haven't been sitting around eating Twinkies like me and you and Coop the last two months. They've been working. They've been training. So it'll take them two weeks to get back in basketball shape, and let's hit the floor running. MT, I don't like Twinkies. I don't eat Twinkies. But anyway, <laughs> uh, listen, the Lakers or uh, Clippers, who do you think win the championship? Because it's going to be in the West. That's, a stupid, that's the stupidest question you've ever asked. Well, I got to be kind of, who? All right, all right. Yeah, okay, I guess we, the Lakers. Lakers win the seventh, seventh game in Staples Center. Lakers, Clippers, and the Western Friars, Lakers win it. See, I don't see it seven. I say six. Okay, I'll take six, but uh, okay. you got to give the Clippers respect. They, they're yeah. for real. Yeah. They ain't no joke no more. They're not a ghost ship anymore. They are for real. They're nope. luxury center now with Kawhi and Paul George leading the way. Doc Rivers doing a good job. So the Clippers are for real, and that'll be a very tough series when it comes down to those two. Who comes out of the East? You know who's going to come out of the East is Toronto. They're well coached. Ooh, I like they're them. The metal. They beat Milwaukee before, even though they won't have Kawhi. But, boy, they, they're playing as if they got something to prove and say, yeah, we don't have Kawhi anymore, but we're still champions. So I'm thinking Toronto to come out east. I see Milwaukee coming out of there, and only for the fact is because they're getting better and they're starting not to rely so much on Giannis scoring. I think other people are starting to step up. But I do like that the championship savvy that Toronto has. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's going to carry them a long way when they come back. And like I said, they beat Milwaukee last year. And, and you go into a playoff series and you beat someone before, that definitely weighs in your favor. Top, last couple of questions, Mike. Your top three European players that's in the league today? Well, obviously, Luca's number one. That's easy. So he's number one. You like him? Well, wait a minute. Let me re- – let me, oh, I love Luca. Are you kidding me? I can't believe Sacramento passed him up, Coop. I don't know what they were thinking. Or even Phoenix. Okay, so the European players today <clears> – <throat> Uh, Giannis, because remember, he is from Greece. So okay. Giannis, one, Luka, number two, and then Jokic, number three. Y'all love Jokic. That boy can play. Yeah. That's, yeah. Good list. Uh, how's Clay doing his rehab? He's doing great. Uh, he's feeling good. He works out every, just about every day, uh, getting all his shots up, moving around normally. So he's feeling good, and uh, he'll be ready to go full speed next year and be back as good as ever. Well, Michael, uh, last question for me, for you. Um, you know, we lost one of the greatest, greatest, greatest Lakers and basketball players ever. A couple of thoughts on Kobe? You know, Coop, even though it's been three, four months, I still think about him every day. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I, he pops into my mind. And I don't think about Kobe so much as the basketball player, Coop. I remember I always think about Kobe the times we used to talk in back of the plane on our flights around the country and – when I would be in the arena doing my radio show, I'd have to do it from the on-site at the arena, like four or five hours before game time. And I would say at least four hours before game time, Kobe would be in there shooting on, on his own. And after he finished shooting, he would come over and just sit by me and we'd just sit over there and talk and have one-on-one conversations about life, about basketball, teasing him about uh, being with the uh, Showtime Lakers. And I, I remember teasing him, Coop, one time he, he told me to go do something with myself, if you know what I mean, when I said, you know, Coop, uh, Kobe, you would have been a great fourth guard on our team. <laughs> then, you know, playing behind you and Coop coming off the bench would have been a would have been the greatest backcourt. <laughs> I got under his skin, MT. <laughs> Do what with myself, as you know. Uh, and yeah, you would have been a great bench player for the Showtime Lakers, Kobe. So I remember I, I remember teasing him about that stuff like that, and yeah, I just it just. That's a shock to my system that he's no longer with us. Him and his beautiful daughter, Gianna, and all those uh, other seven victims on the flight. But you know, when you lose someone, it's the memories that cherish the most, man. That's a great memory. MT, Sweet Bells, Michael Thompson, uh, Michael spelled the right way, M-I-C-H-A-L. 
thank you so much, Mike, for being with us, man. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, man, thanks for taking me down memory lane. Can never do that enough. <laughs> Have a good day, Mike. All right, guys. Okay. Showtime with Coop is presented by betonline.ag on CLNS Media. Again, please hit that subscribe button. That way you'll automatically get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And please make sure to give us a rating. We're out.